Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast, of which we are the worst. I'm Mark. I'm Eddie. And I'm Cody. And today we will be talking about our last installment in the Nugs de Narnia series, The Last Battle. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, I'm full. I don't want any more nuggets. Well, let me tell you. Throw out all the nuggets from the previous books combined, because we're talking about the nuggets from this book, which <laughs> surpasses maybe them all combined. That's not true. There's so much goodness in, in all this. But this book has so much good stuff, particularly what Cody has been uh, harping to or speaking to this entire time. is just the stirring of heaven is just building and building throughout the entire series, and here it's just crescendos. I don't think... There's anything I, I mean, truly anything I've used to reflect on heaven or reflected on heaven myself or read, heard nothing that has made me want it as bad as reading this book ever. It's, it's that. that Cody just likes to run. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) So where do we, where do we start here? Well, I guess some context of the story, it's not really that important, but basically a fake Aslan comes into be, there's like this, this monkey and a donkey the monkey's really smart and the donkey is dumb and so the monkey always abuses the donkey and they find a, lo- a fake lion skin they throw it on the donkey and they pretend to be aslan and chaos kind of le- essentially ensues the calermans come into narnia be- at the command of aslan quote unquote this fake aslan but i think cody you had something just to kind of preface that which i think is good yeah so in order to kind of gain some traction, because the, I mean, you would think that people would know Aslan or at least be taken up with him, but not everyone has seen him, right? They've all, they've really only heard about him. Not every, It's weird because we've been following the story of everyone that Aslan has met uh, and like personally encountered in like a real physical way. But really, there are a bunch of people in Narnia that maybe just haven't ever seen him or have only heard stories. So to kind of gain some traction as being like, oh, this is actually Aslan. They they twist the one characteristic that has been hashed out through every single book, uh, that Aslan is not tame, right? That he's, he's wild, he's not safe. And the way it was used before, you know, you felt it was kind of like, the, it was almost a wonder, right? That was stirred up when you, when you heard the word, he's not safe. But now it's almost kind of a fear that they're looking to instill. Like, oh, Aslan's not a tame lion. You know, Aslan isn't a safe lion and all these people that don't really know Aslan are kind of like, well, like, is it, you know, is this actually what he's like? Is this who he is? The people that do see right through it and know, no, this is clearly different from what the actual Aslan is. But the people who don't, I haven't really either taken the time to try and get to know him or have only really like kind of heard about him in passing are kind of drawn into this, this illusion I, th- I think it's a very insightful look at kind of what would be either it's a kind of modern modern thinking or what could be you know the antichrist would be not somebody who comes looking like the antichrist but somebody who comes looking like Christ but missing twisting and missing the most critical attributes of him yeah, like he, it'd be Christ coming, but not having the holes in his feet and his hands and like in his side and saying, yep, I'm Jesus. And his, his nature cannot be anything like Jesus because 
he is evil. And that's sort of what you see here, that these uh, animals are being led out of fear because they don't know Aslan. And so their so quote-unquote faith is just out of fear and out of threat that everybody's talked about Aslan. And if you don't do what he says, Aslan's going to enslave you. He's going to sell you off. He's going to cut off your horns and like that sort of thing. And it just seems like as a, as the reader, you're like, well, why would anybody believe that? But there's, it's very real in our own world that people sort of use God as a, as a threatening mechanism for things that they want to have done in their own, you know, personal gain. So as they build steam, uh, with this illusion, he, the fake Aslan is kind of giving way over to, or he's kind of starting to point, like let people in that were never allowed or let into Narnia before. They're clearly enemies of Narnia and they're looking to conquer it. Uh, they are uh, people who serve a different God, right? The the evil God who's kind of run through the whole book, the whole series, whose name is Tash. And uh, as these people are starting to be let in, the fake Aslan starts to kind of turn people more towards Tash than to himself. Uh, almost like, oh, now the real God has come. So now you should... Well, they, and they say they're one and the same. They're Tashlan. Tash that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He, he kind of starts to become assimilated uh, with Tash. I feel, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Which is like pretty spot on to how the world is going. All Everything's the same, right? There's only... You know, we're all worshiping the same God and all that. We don't need to get into it's all just, of that it's now. It's just but. put it into the universe. It's all the same. Yeah. And the problem is, is Tash and Aslan are like vastly different at their core, right? Aslan is all about kinship and being a father and we are his children. And Tash is all about he is slave master. We are slave. And it's just they don't work together. And mm-hmm. to all the people of the Kylerman who serve the Tash, their like line uh, throughout the book is to hear is to obey. So th- there is no, they're enslaved to the Tash. And that line that they repeat for everything sort of gives you a picture of like what servitude to the Tash looks like. So the last battle comes, you know, the king, Tyrion, the last king of Narnia, his best friend, who is a unicorn, which is legendary, uh, and Eustace, and I think Jill, and that's really it, right? Like they, they go to one of these like old outposts of Narnia to fortify themselves and get some weapons, but what are they going to do? It, there's an army, right? but they, they do, they go back and I, I think they have some other people with them. Some people, yeah, a few people yeah. join. Yeah. A few people join in, uh, for this last battle. But it, it, it comes down to the wire. Basically, everyone's dying. And they're huddled behind the shack that the fake Tashlan is, was hiding in. And that was used, who was, they were using this kind of as a staging area for him. Uh, and they have uh, a dialogue. That, and, I, and I think at that point um, that they have rejected the idea that it's any part Aslan and that it is just the Tash at this point. So they started with Aslan. They go to Tashlan, and now it's just, no, this is the Tash. Aslan is not real. Um, Tash is the one you should be serving. And to preface like the, the battle and sort of the emotions that are felt uh, before this, the, the king had called his army to come meet them at the place where the fake Aslan was. 
and this eagle comes and uh, relays a message from like their general who's a centaur and he tells uh, the king to remember that all worlds draw to an end and that noble death is a treasure which no one is too poor to buy and the king says so narnia is no more and so this sort of sets up like because the whole army dies, right? Yeah, like, the whole army dies. There, any any chance of actually defeating them in battle is gone, but they're still going to fight. Yeah, because like what the army is like ambushed by like the actual yeah or the something like that. Army. Yeah, by the actual Calorman army and yeah. Uh, so there's a really beautiful point where Jewel, which is the unicorn, and uh, Tyrion, Tyrion, the king, and they're like you said, they're like best friends, and there's so many good things between the two of them throughout the whole thing. And at one point he says this, Tyrion says this, he says, kiss me, Jewel. He said, for certainly this is our last night on earth. And if I ever offended against you in any matter, great or small, forgive me now. He says, dear king, said the unicorn, I could almost wish you had so that I might forget it. Forgive it. Farewell. We have known great joys together. If Aslan gave me my choice, I would choose no other life than the life I have had and no other death than the one we go to. So good. Are you kidding me? Oh, man. It's like, oh. I just, I almost wish you had offended me so that I could forgive you. What, like, yeah. And again, if I had my choice, I would have no other life than the one we've lived together, all the adventures, and no other death than the one we now go to together. And like, that's I, friendship, man. And I think a part of that is obviously they're, um, they love Aslan too. And so their lives are not filled with regret, regret or <laughs> regret. <laughs> your life is your life is filled <laughs> now, with regret. Uh, so in loving Aslan, they have nothing to hold them back. They love each other, the uh, Jewel and Tyrion, and so now they're going together into this battle, confident in what's going to happen. So spoiler alert. They die, and <laughs> but I, it's not like a. I forget no, exactly how they, don't it, they, not, they don't die, right? Well, well, I mean they, they lose the battle, yeah. But King Tyrion pulls in the uh, commander of the Calorman army into the shack where the Tash is, and then the battle, the scene is over. the The battle is done, and it, they all do die, but you don't. They don't. It's not just uh, described. Yeah. Oh, doesn't he actually encounter Tash too? They do. Yeah. You wanted yeah. me. Here I am. Yeah. Because <laughs> the whole time they're like calling to Tash, and like Tash like basically kills the the king of the Calorman, right? Like, yeah, he encounters Tash, and like Tash immediately just is like, "You you called for me. Here I am," and he like, takes him away, and basically to kill and torture him. So, uh, and again, that's like the devil too. You know, he it just doesn't go the way you think it is going to. You think that sin is your friend, and then it it obviously isn't. But continuing on. Continuing on, they are, you have to assume that they die because the shack kind of fades away and they find themselves in this new land. And while like they start to look around and see what's there and they see this group of dwarves who throughout the entire time, they just kind of get confused and they're sick of everything. So they keep saying like the dwarves are for the dwarves and they're obstinate to both Tash and Aslan and they just are like being jerks about it. Except for one dwarf. Well, I think they're more than jerks because the the king calls for these talking horses to come be his reinforcements, and the dwarves kill every single one of them. That's right, yeah. So 
they're, they're jerks, I because think. Because they, yeah. they, yeah, they start they start shooting like the Calamans with their arrows, and then they're like, oh sweet, the dwarves are on our side now, and then that all oh, that part is so sad. And so they had gone to like where they were keeping up all the talking horses to like come and help them, and they let them all out of the stables to come run into the battle, and the dwarves see them coming and they just shoot them all, and and it's like because they're not armored, they all die before they even get to the fight and, and they like yell out they're like ha do you think we we're on your side like the dwarves are for the dwarves and they're just killing everybody they suck they're so annoying they, <laughs> they are bad yeah okay so then so then now everybody is in this other land once they have passed through the shack and i think the dwarves also pile into the shack and so we can see them but they can't see us but they can hear them so there's this like barrier they're pretty much blinded by who they are, who they are doesn't allow them to truly see what's in front of them. And so they're talking to them. Um, and I think Aslan appears and he gives them this great meal, uh, like a, a great, uh, banquet, a, a feast and the dwarves, it's completely dark for them, even though it's midday in their world. And they think they're eating hay and mud and no, they're fighting. Feces. They're like, you're throwing feces in my face is what they say. Oh. Right. Isn't it? Like they got it's like, probably all, it's probably all three. Yeah, they, yeah, they can't because they're see in a state. They're in a stable, so they think they're yeah. eating all of, all of that stuff, and they're fighting over over it too. So on their end, uh, on the children's end, you can see them like knocking over the feast and stepping on the food, and it's just like, what are you doing? Like, and multiple times throughout, they are invited to come through the door and to open their eyes and to experience what's on the other side. And they're so afraid and so blinded by their own pride that like, no, we, we are for ourselves. They never make it through the door. And everything that they try to do, like Lucy keeps trying to help them. Aslan tries to help them. But everything is heard through their eye, eyes and ears as the opposite of what it is. And they just collapse in on themselves, essentially. Aslan says, uh, you see, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only on their own minds. Yet they are in that prison. And so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. You can't be helped if you don't if you don't want the help. You know, God can't make you love Him. You you have to call out, and it, it's very uh, very explicit uh, picture here. Another thing uh, that's important is Asen calls the world home, pretty much, and there's this great image of the stars falling down from the sky and coming to join Aslan. And the stars are people, and they're, we see them in other books as well. So the stars come home, and then you see this great rushing of all the animals, all the creatures uh, in Narnia rushing through this giant gate. And I think the door is still like the same uh, doorway that was the shack. Mm -hmm. And so Aslan is standing at one of the posts, and the animals are literally splitting off into, you know, to, to the, I guess, right of Aslan, they're going into his world, and to the left, they go into the darkness, into the destroyed world. It's literally the splitting of the goats and the sheeps in the book, and you can see that some of the animals, when they recognize Aslan, some of them like start to curse him and revert back to dumb animals, and some of them like, run faster towards Aslan. And it's just a great image of like this is the this is the ultimatum. This is the final decision to either choose aslan or to choose death I, I like the whole time aslan's face is the same face 
he doesn't make different expressions at different animals as they go by. He's not like really pissed at the ones that don't choose him and really happy at the ones that do. His face is expressionless. And when they see him, they react differently. So okay, I think... And that's and that's a theme throughout all of C.S. Lewis's writings, right? He says in The Great Divorce, a beautiful line, he says in the end, there are only two types of people. I think we even said this in one of the earlier yeah, nuggets. Last, last I was, was going to say that. Dang it. <laughs> that Eddie had just said. Yeah. Eddie had said either God still says applicable. To, yeah. Either God says to you, you know, either you say to God, thy will be done, or he says to you, thy will be done. And those are the only two options when the end comes for you. So the splitting happens, the world passes away, and they find themselves in this new land, and they can't really figure out where they are. So they're kind of want, like lion. I keep calling him Lion. Aslan <laughs> heads up the the mountain that they're right next to. Uh, a bunch of the other animals kind of you know either follow him or meander around. But Tyrion and Jewel and the children are kind of just looking around, and they come across. In this, oh man, this gets me so hard. They come across uh, a Callerman, and it's kind of like whoa shoot like what <laughs> uh what are you doing here because you you serve tash and it comes out that you know he had served tash his whole life faithfully uh believing that he was truth and he was always open to being wrong uh he just always sought truth but he was never able to find any of it where he lived because like he never had the option of knowing aslan and really when he thought of tash he was thinking of aslan right uh what he was seeking was truth not tash himself or like the will of tash or whatever but he ends up in like finding himself here and himself is also kind of like what am i doing here and he runs into aslan who is as big as an elephant and uh the exchange that they have is aslan looks at him and says beloved said the glorious one unless thy desire had been for me you would not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. Then he breathed upon me and took away the trembling from my limbs and caused me to stand upon my feet. And after that, he said not much, but that we should meet again, and I must go further up and further in. And since then, O kings and ladies, I have been wandering to find him, and my happiness is so great that it even weakens me like a wound. And this is the marvel of marvels, that he called me beloved, me who am but as a dog. oh gosh it's so it's it's the same thing like i just want to hear it right like i also am but as a dog i i I have no business being called beloved but i want to hear it and oh man and this oh good this it it really gets at again something that is prevalent in c.s lewis's and this actually has created debate amongst things right because is would this person be saved theoretically right and this goes to the whole is their salvation outside the church and things of that nature um but i think that c.s lewis is on to something here which i think we could all learn something from where he's talking about like when it really gets down to it it's god's you know knock on the door will be open to you those who seek will find and so what he's saying is this guy emmeth he desired to know goodness and did it in all the ways that he thought he could. Like, he, he wasn't from the area. He could have never possibly known. And so this speaks to people who are outside of the, the culture, right? They have different cultures or whatever it is. And is it possible for these people to be saved? And I think, yes, possible, right? Depending on how well they're 
cooperating with the grace that Jesus is giving to them in their life because God gives grace to all. And if you cooperate with him, like I think that you can move in the direction towards him, even if you don't know that's what you're doing. And it seems to be the case that again, in this story, that's what's going on with Emmeth. And I think that there is something for sure there in that. And I think that it is, um, right. And like when you're, when your will is cooperating with grace, you are serving the Lord, even if, whether you know it or not. And again, not to say that everyone who has this experience, because again, there's one Calamon here who, who has this experience. Yeah. <laughs> so I think to say like, oh, who cares? Everybody goes to heaven because they do good things in their life. That's not what's going on here. But I think if someone genuinely has a desire to know the Lord, um, I don't think the Lord would hold him back because of where they were born or because of what their experience was if the genuine desire is there. Whereas contrast that, right? There's plenty of people in Narnia who don't make it, right? Um, where Because they don't have a desire to know the Lord. And so uh, I think that's true in our own life. Like, yeah, you got to want it. Yeah. Truly. And and to just to um, sort of contextualize where Emmett is coming from is the Kellerman talk of Aslan. When they do talk of Aslan, he is this great demon who is in the form of a lion. So anybody who has ever like heard the name of Aslan, that's a demon. So that's where he's coming from. And then even to encounter Aslan there must have been a greater surprise for him. How could he possibly have known him? Right. How could he have possibly said... Aslan is who I should be serving if his whole life he's been told that Aslan is a demon. So they meet him and uh, everything starts to click into place, at least for Jewel. And he says, again, he says this line that just like cuts me to the heart. Um, He looks around and he starts to get excited and everyone's kind of like, well, why are you so excited? And he says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. And then they start dead sprinting up the mountain and they find that they're not getting tired. So they can just sprint as long as they want and they start sprinting like up waterfalls and they start like sprinting up cliff faces, which is kind of ridiculous, but imagine how legendary that would be. Um, I, I mean, I feel it right. Every time I go to the beach, my favorite thing to do is to sprint as fast as I can until I trip into the water and fall in. Um, or if like it's nighttime and I'm not going in the water just to sprint as fast as I can down the beach, like hitting top speed is a, is a feeling that I, it's just, it's just, it's so fun. But imagine hitting top speed and then maintaining top speed forever. And never getting tired. And it of seems it. like they, they get faster, like as yeah. it goes. There is no top speed. Yeah, they just. I guess it's the moment right before top speed that's the most fun, where you feel yourself accelerating to it, and you're like, "Oh man, I'm almost there!" But it's just that over and over and over again. Whew. Cody's just can't really wait. giddy this episode. <laughs> I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Take you, me there. Take- <laughs> <laughs> I think we should also talk about Susan, who oh yeah, R.I.P. does not make it into Aslan's land, which is heaven. Um, and so we see the collective group of all our main characters through all of the books standing there in glorified bodies as like kings and queens. And Tyrion, who is our most recent king, asks, don't you have, like he's talking to Peter, he says, don't you have two sisters? I don't see Queen Susan. And 
Peter says, shortly, my sister Susan is no longer a friend of Narnia. And Eustace elaborates that whenever you've tried to get her to come and talk about Narnia or do anything about Narnia, she says, what wonderful memories you have. Fancy you're still thinking about all those funny games we used to play when we were children. And Jill says, oh, Susan, she's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and imitations. She always had a jolly sight, too, keen on being grown up. Grown up, indeed, said the Lady Polly. I wish she would grow up. And it's like, you feel the sorrow for Susan. Everybody else has been faithful to Aslan, essentially, and had this great love for Aslan. And this this doubt in Susan is throughout all the other books I think we've mentioned before. But it's like, grow up and move past the things of the world that aren't important and that obviously pass away in this world as well that we see for Susan. And so we see um, that Lady Polly, uh, who's in the first book, she says she wished Susan would have grown up. And by that, she means she wished Susan would have sort of rejected the things of this world and like given her full love to Aslan and grown up and grown in spirit so that she could be there with him. It just shows that it's not a one-time thing. And we've talked about it before, like it's the, you're, you can lose your salvation and you also can gain it. Like, it's not, it's all about how you respond to failure. You know, there is Edmund who fails horrifically and then becomes great. There is, you know, Peter who's kind of half in, half out a lot of the time. It's kind of just, <laughs> I don't want to say mediocre, but, uh, you know, it's like in it, lukewarm, lukewarm, <laughs> we'll say, that? you know, whatever. And uh, then there's Lucy who's pretty much on it the whole time, which is also a possibility for some people. And then there's Susan who is into it and falls away and misses it. And I think that, you know, we always have to be on guard to not not ever en- let that real lukewarmness enter our own lives. So closing up here, right, the end of this, the end of the book. And again, as Cody said, there is nothing. All of this is all about heaven, but there's like it all comes to it to the end right here. Aslan approaches everybody and he says one of the most beautiful lines that I have ever personally heard and has been so helpful to my prayer life every single time I find myself living in mediocrity, which is always. So, (laughs) uh, is he says, you do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be right. He just walks up to them and says, you don't look as happy as I created you for. Like you are meant to be happier than this. You are meant to be more fulfilled than this. And I just can't help but like every single time, no matter how my day is going, even when I'm having a great day and I go to prayer, it's just like, Jesus is saying to you, like, you're not as happy yet. Like you are not as fulfilled as I desire for you to be. And it just, like you said, it just stirs in me. And it's just, it's kind of cheesy, right? And everyone, it's been so used so much, but the further up and further in, it really desires me to go further up towards God, further in, further into it. Because no, even on my best day, I'm not, I'm not there. Uh, I visited, um, the CFRs in New York, just this for like a weekend. And it was one of the guy's birthdays and they asked him if he had anything to say. And he said, yes, I do. You know, I, I thought before it, it was, he was, a uh, postulant. So he wasn't even a friar yet. And he said, I used to think that I was the happiest I could possibly be before coming here. And I almost didn't come on the, like the vocation weekend or, uh, just to like test it out. I didn't think I needed it because I thought I was as happy as, I, as any human could possibly be. And then he said, don't ever believe the lie that you are as happy as you possibly could be because you can always be happier. And 
the Lord means for you to be. Yeah. You know, and again, happiness is not the end goal here. It's not saying that you are always going to like as soon as I start following the Lord, my my life is just going to be a continuous steady increase of happiness for the entire rest of my life. Um but never believe that you are as happy as you possibly could be. And you know, and happiness coming stemming from true fulfillment, you know, I think. And then he goes on to say basically they're all, so they all died, right? So um in on earth they all died in a train accident and this is um lucy says we are so afraid of being sent away aslan and you have sent us back into our own world so often so she's like every time we see you we leave and lucy's just is the most gutted at it she is the one who longs for narnia the most and i'm just going to read this to you word for word i'm going to read it twice and we're going to end the podcast basically he says no fear of that said aslan have you not guessed their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them there was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is what's waiting for us, guys. This is further up and further in. We're going to read it one more time. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning the chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before.